0: A reminder, hit that pause button and head on over to tropicalmba.com slash survey. That's right. We want to learn more about you, the TMBA listeners, especially what you enjoy and get value from so we can do more of that and less of the other. Check it out, tropicalmba.com slash survey. Welcome back to the podcast. Boss man, give me a microphone check. Hey, check, check. One, two, three. All right, we're doing this thing. The theme of today's show is getting real with yourself about what you need to do to succeed. Of course, this is an incredibly complex topic, but some things we're going to highlight here are listening to your customers over the so-called experts who know what you're supposed to do with your customers, learning how to sell is a critical thing and what that looks like, and not obsessing about shiny objects. Instead, maybe taking what you've got, taking what you've learned, and tweaking it a little bit. Some would call it rip-pivoting and jamming with what you've already got. In short, this episode's about a lot of the themes we talk about on this pod all the time. Getting it done, for realsies. Speaking of getting it done, we have now officially placed 100 remote workers in pretty badass companies mm-hmm. over at dynamite Jobs. We're celebrating our 100th placement. Ooh, applause please. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool to visualize a lot of people that listen to the show have been coming up to me and they say that's kind of cool to hear you guys excited about this and, you know, people reflecting it back to you and I was like, yeah, I am excited about it. And part of the reason is, is like imagining 100 people Working. It's very, I know a lot of people listen along at home thinking these guys aren't going to make this a business. It's not going to work out so well. And there's part of me that thinks that too. But the truth is, the downside is so limited because it's been such an amazing thing to wake up every morning to help people get jobs at remote companies.
1: I think there's a chance it might work out, Dan. I think no there's way. a better chance <laughs> it'll work out than it won't. Yeah. Like you said, it's already working out. People are getting placed into jobs remotely. If I had to bet, Dan, In the next economic downturn that everybody's been talking about for the last nine and a half years, since it happened 10 years ago, yeah, remote jobs will become more important because people will look for opportunities and ways to cut their costs and get just as much done. And I think remote jobs is a way to do that. So I think it's a hedge.
0: I think it's a bit of a hedge. It reminds me of what Tommy Griffith said on this show a few weeks ago. In his business, he said, are more people going to be using Google now or in 10 years from now? And I think in our case, and everybody can ask themselves this question about their business, are more people going to be having remote jobs now or in 10 years from now? Easy question. I mean, how much are we going to play a role in that? We don't know yet, but of course, that tide is rising. And also one of the themes of this episode today, Ian, is look, how good of an entrepreneur you are, no doubt that plays a role and it's important. But one thing that you can definitely tie a correlation between business success is market success, in other words, like in a rising tide, all boats rise. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Oh. Some of some them oh. just sink. Some, like, some of them they forget
1: pl- to put the plug in <laughs> and, and they just sink. I sent you an article the other day um, that was published two years ago in 2017, and it was talking about Google getting into job placements and how you know if you search for jobs online now, Google serves you ads basically yeah. for jobs that are available. And this was written back in 2017. And the author cited that the jobs industry was a $200 billion industry. So when you think about you know, rising tides and how big a market is, if you have a $25 million company, like what a small percentage of that is. And so I thought that was interesting. And I just thought, wow, we can really be losers and still win in this market. I'll tell
0: you what, this is Also, the sort of napkin math that can lead entrepreneurs astray. How many times have you been at dinner and people are like, the oil industry is this big? All right. Anyway, let's talk about today's guest, today's entrepreneur. His name is John Ainsworth, and he's a wonderful member of our community, the DC or the Dynamite Circle. He's also the CEO and founder of a company called Data Driven Marketing, which builds, fixes, and optimizes automated sales funnels which are mechanisms to draw customers to buy your products. And just a bit of context, John has five full-time members on his staff, a bunch of different freelancers and revenue around a quarter million dollars a year. And when I spoke to him, he was in
2: Lithuania. My wife's Lithuanian originally. It has some of the greatest beer snacks I've ever tasted in my life. It has fabulous beer. It has the nicest pool halls I've ever been to. In England, if you go to a pool hall, it's basically a way of you saying, I wonder if I should get stabbed today,
0: you know? But John spends much of his year in London, England. And in fact, he's hosting one of our DC members events there next month. So I started out by asking him about the roots of his entrepreneurial career.
2: When I was in college, I had this job selling books door-to-door out in the States. And it was, you know, very, very strange, like, intense process. Basically, I got really good at sales through doing this door-to-door thing.
0: Wait a second. Wait a second. You rock up to a door. (laughs) You knock on it.
2: Yeah. And someone cracks it. Uh And what do you say? All right. Let me see if I can remember my pitch. Okay. So... Hey, is that that Dan? Yeah. Hey, Dan. It's John here. I'm a college student from England. You could probably tell. And what I'm doing is I'm just talking to all the families in the area and just showing them these really helpful educational books. I was just talking with Ian. Everyone's been super friendly. It's been real nice over here. And it only takes about 20 minutes. And it's just my job to show them to everybody, talk through how it's going to help the kids with schoolwork. Have you got a few minutes? Just uh, show them to you right now.
0: Were you terrified when you started this job?
2: My first my first door that I knocked on. We'd had a whole week of practice, right? We'd learnt this pitch about how to get in the door. I knocked on the first door. Someone comes to the door. I'm shaking. He opens the door. I couldn't remember a word. All I do is I reach down to my bag and I go, books? <laughs> I was like, he's like, no, thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Oh my God. It was so nerve wracking. It was very uncomfortable. And it was really like a good personal development tool. You know how people sometimes say like entrepreneurship is the best form of personal development, apart from maybe like long term relationships. Well, this was kind of the same thing. It's like you had to develop as a person. Otherwise, you weren't going to make it.
0: Do you believe that about
2: entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's brutal, man. You know, if you want to get through to the next level, then you just can't do things the way you've done before you're going to have to learn how to get better at stuff like i'm going through this really fast growth period at the moment with my business and there's so much stuff where i'm like right if i keep doing things the way i've done or if i think in the way i've thought before then i'm not going to make it to that next stage i'm the one who's holding the business back nearly always because i've not let go of something or i've not taken on a new idea or what have you so it's like constantly how can i cope with this process of being uncomfortable in order to get to that next stage
0: have you pinpointed anything like an immediate example of something you've been holding on to that you feel might be holding you back
2: so many things i've got so much wrong with me okay like personal shit that's affecting your business yeah well personal beliefs right so a lot of them are a lot of them are beliefs that once upon a time were helpful You know, at some point in my past, it was useful to believe this thing, and then it's no longer useful to believe it, and you have to figure out how to let go of it. One that's going on right now at the moment is that we're going through, like I said, this kind of growth period, and we've got all this work coming in. And my temptation for a while was, well, then I'll do more work, right? I managed to get rid of that one and go right now I'll get out of delivery and I'll build a team and I'll develop the SOPs the standard operating processes and I'll get p- other people to do the work. And then we had more stuff come in and it's like okay, right, well in that case we'll just stop and we'll just stop taking that work on. I was like, "Wait a minute, why is that? Why am I thinking that way, you know? Is that helpful? Is that what I really want?" And it's like, "Okay, what could we do to kind of work around that and to figure out ways to be able to deliver this work to a higher standard without me slowing things down because I'm uncomfortable with it.
0: I just want to jump in here and fill in a bit of context of how John went from selling door-to-door to running his current business because there's interesting stuff coming up about how John had to confront some hard realities and pivot to get the growth he's now describing. After working in a marketing agency, he became the campaigns director for Sport England where he was creating sports programs particularly aimed at older people and those who'd had a serious illness. Then around 2007, like many of us, he read The 4-Hour Workweek and decided it was time to go it alone. And he had what many of us had when we made that crucial decision, what we often call an anchor client to help get him started.
2: So I had people who I'd already been doing work for before while I was at Sport England. like Just as part of my job there, I just helped a lot of people out. And the Department of Health England was one of them. And so I said to my contact over there that I was leaving, and they're like, Oh, who's going to help us with all this stuff now? I was like, Well, you could hire me to do it. And they're like, All right, cool, we'll do that. So they were like my first anchor client. So I got like a six month project with them, lined that up, and then quit my job and started doing that.
0: John, for the sake of just the record, I have to point out a few themes that you've brought up. Okay. (laughs) One is uh, door to door sales, or definitely there is a strong heritage of door-to-door salespeople. you know it's sort of like if you're able and willing to do that kind of work it's sort of like everything's easy Mm -hmm. comparatively and the second is it's a really good sign if you quit your job and your boss refuses to let you quit essentially (laughs) and hires you as a consultant this is a very common thing it's kind Mm -hmm. of a bad sign if your boss lets you walk out the door so, you get this anchor client. How do you proceed from there?
2: Okay, so here begins part of the litany of mistakes, I suppose, in the whole kind of process so i'd done that i done really well with that. I got stuff lined up there. I got another project through them, so I had like two years of work lined up on these different projects. But then, what I started trying to do is a really interesting mistake because it's kind of like was part of this mission that I was on. I was trying to bring digital marketing to the world of physical activity, government and health charities who are trying to get people into physical activity, specifically these hard to reach groups. So we're looking at cancer patients, over 65s, disabled people, these kind of groups. And they were just dreadful at marketing. They were so bad, it was ridiculous. But they were also very resistant to the idea of using it. So, what I was doing because I was on this this mission to try and achieve this, I was always trying to like push the market into stuff they weren't really ready for, so that's the basic theme of like all the mistakes from a business point of view I was making. From my mission point of view, it was the right thing to do. i was I managed to reduce the cost per person active by like seventy five percent for like all of those groups. I got tens of thousands of people into activity, all good from a mission point of view. from a business point of view, it was a nightmare. Because I basically didn't have product market fit. I was always trying to convince the market that they should want this thing that I was doing. And they very few people did.
0: Do you remember when the penny
2: dropped? Yeah, uh, it was about March last year when I finally was like, you know what, I just can't do this anymore.
0: So you had been doing marketing services in line with your personal mission and beliefs From 2007 until last year. So this is 11 years you've been essentially making a living as a a hired gun.
2: Yeah, and we've gone, you know, it was fine as a business. Like, we'd built up to probably $300,000 in revenue. It worked, but it was a constant battle. And it completely depended on me going, meeting with people and getting them on board with this, charming them, bring them round to these ideas. Government is awkward, difficult, complicated, and they like to plan out projects for a long time before they get started. So what they have is they have big projects available, but you have to be willing to do the project that they wanted done. You can't, like I've mentioned about charming them and getting around to my way of thinking and explaining these ideas. I would do that over the course of, let's say, a year. And then they would go, we like these ideas. Now, internally, we're going to come up with a project and they would develop an idea for a project, and it would be kind of right. It would kind of make sense in terms of actually getting results, because government is not driven by results. Government is driven by all kinds of internal factors and politics and what have you. And what I tried to shift to was, how about if we just deliver the bit that we figured out that worked at the end? What about if I come to you and I say, we could actually do this for you. This is the bit that's figured out and it's going to get you these amazing results. And I tried that for about a year and a half and it totally didn't work. And that's what convinced me eventually, you know what, I've done enough on this. I'm going to call it a day. Why didn't it work? Because government likes big, complicated, awkward projects they've come up with themselves.
0: What would have been the problem just to continue selling $50,000 projects and keeping
2: that role in yeah so that's fine right i could do that but then i'm not achieving the mission of what i'd originally set out to do because i'm not focused on the thing that was really what i'd set the business up for and it's much harder than working with businesses so it's like this middle ground that doesn't make my life that much better and then isn't really achieving the mission i met up with ian once boss man for lunch in london one time I explained to him what I did and he said to me, you must be brave. And I was like, huh, that's interesting because I hadn't thought about that before. It's like, this is the business I'm running. You know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to make it work. I'm like, what's the term you use about it? Like, uh, stay on the bus. And I was like, eventually I was like, I kind of thought about what he said quite a lot. And I was like, am I being too brave? Am I being too tough here and just sticking with something? And so about that point, I started testing out working with regular businesses and helping them to like use all these techniques I'd used with getting people into activity, like building funnels for people using those kind of techniques just for making money. So the first thing I did is I worked with a guy. He was a personal trainer in our gym and he was also a martial arts instructor and he was making a little bit of money from it, but not very much. He had to still work as a personal trainer. Really nice guy, very good at teaching martial arts, didn't know much about marketing. He would go and stand outside schools and hand out flyers to parents. And I said to him, let me give you a hand with that. Let me show you how Facebook ads could work for you. And after about a year, something like that, I've been kind of helping him with that. He was making like £80,000 a year, only working 10 hours a week. He quit his job as a personal trainer. He bought a house. He bought a Jag. And I was like oh my God, it was so much easier than working with government. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I was like, let me try that again. So I helped some more people. And eventually I was like, I didn't know whether the skills I had would transfer over to doing it for business. I was like, I've got the specific skills that I've developed for doing this to get people into activity. And I switched. So I started testing with more people. It kept working really well and like helped somebody to like double their income by just making these, you know, these tweaks to their automated system and putting this stuff in place. I was like, this is so much easier. So I still run projects for those guys for government and health charities, but only the ones who get it. You know? I don't try and force it to make it work. I'm not trying to scale it. I'm just doing it for the guys where they, they understand it and they want the help.
0: Do you feel like this is a common thing in entrepreneurship?
2: A few bits of it are common. I think I'm kind of like the born again Christian. You know, the guy who's like so convinced about something that he used to be wrong about that now he's going to like try and sell everybody on it. But I think people focus too much on what they want to do and not enough on what the market wants. And that definitely was what I was doing.
0: How do you get a sense for what the market wants?
2: Ask people, talk to them, see what people like. A lot of times people are doing something for the market. People really like it. Their customers are happy. And then they say, that's great. So now, but what I want is this thing over here slightly. And they move away from what people are actually liking more towards what they want. And I've seen this with a friend recently where he's like, he's got a service that people really like. And then he's like, okay, so I'm gonna, I've got that going. So now I'm gonna start a course to teach people how to do it. I'm like, okay, did anybody ask you for that course? Because if they didn't, maybe they don't want it. So don't sell yourself on the idea too strongly. Maybe they'd love it, right? But maybe they don't want that. I've done it, like I've done it twice in the last year. I was doing this, it was working well. I was like helping people with email marketing and that was going great. And then I was like, oh, but you know, what's really good is webinars. Nobody was asking me about webinars, but I was like, cool, webinars. I know webinars are amazing. I've got great results from it before. I've got great results for other people before with it. So I'm going to switch over to doing webinars and focus on that. And I started telling everybody that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing webinars. And so now I stopped getting the email marketing jobs and I'm just focusing on getting the webinar ones. And it's way harder and it slows me right down. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What about if I did webinars and email marketing? Because people wanted support with email marketing. And so I switch and I go back to that because that's what people are asking for. And it's like, okay, cool. That's made life much easier again. How do you Describe your business aim for the next few years. I'm very anti having specific goals for this. I know this is quite against the norm. Why? So here's what I found, right? I can set a goal, work towards it, and then achieve it. And then, okay, great, I've achieved the thing that I set out to achieve. It seems good on the surface, but it's got certain downsides that go with it. One of them is you might change your mind throughout the process as to what the goal should be. Because I'm a little bit like brutal to myself sometimes if I'm not careful. So I'll set this goal and I'll work towards it and then I'll start to think maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should change it. It's like, no, you set yourself this goal. You are gonna achieve this goal. You will do this. And so I'll just keep working towards it. And maybe, you know what? You shouldn't be doing that thing anymore. But part of the reason why you change your mind about these goals is because you've learned stuff. Different things have happened, different things have have come up in the market, you've got new information. So having that long term goal kind of makes things then quite tricky if you're still trying to work towards it. So you've got to be willing then to change what the goal is. It's like, okay, so if you've got a goal that you're not that set on, then why have that goal at all? I do have goals, I do have vision, but it tends to be quite vague and loose, things that I'm really sure that I want to have. But it's not things like achieve this much revenue, have this size of a team. The other thing I find with goals that's a bit of a nightmare is I find that they can make you not live in the present because you're thinking about this is where I'm going to be in the future and then I'll be happy. Certainly it does for me. I know some people argue really strongly that they don't feel that way about it and great more power to them. But for me, I definitely find that. So I try and be a little bit more zen about it and think okay how do i want to behave what do i want to be doing what kind of person do i want to be and then let the successes come as a result of that so for example one of the things that i try very hard to do that i focus on i i remind myself of this every day and i work towards it is trying to do all of the basics right
0: you mean like exercise and wear suntan lotion Those
2: things too, but like, no.
0: You mean in terms of uh, business hygiene?
2: Yeah, like doing all of the things, you know, all the things that everybody knows you should do with business, trying to do all of those properly. Like tracking the amount of time that everybody's in the team spending on stuff and then analyzing against that. Tracking how profitable different projects are. Making sure that all of your SOPs are completely nailed and written down really well, hiring exactly the right people, training them as well as you possibly can, looking after your customers as well as you can, tracking if they're happy enough, and if they're not, doing everything you can to make sure that's sorted out. A thousand things like that that are in all the different business books that we know that we should be doing, like Profit First, talking about how you should be taking a certain amount out as profit every month the e-myth talking about making sure you've got all of the right systems written out for people to be able to follow like all of those things that's my goal is to try and do as many of those right as i possibly can and then see what happens in terms of results from it
0: hey yo today's show is sponsored by revision legal these are lawyers who understand what we're all about here at the pod. If you got a legal problem, even if you don't have a legal problem, get ahead of it and give the team at Revision Legal a call. Revision Legal is a firm that truly understands entrepreneurs and internet business. They don't think Amazon products are about logging and timber. That's right. Revision Legal really understands entrepreneurs because they're part of the community and they're around them all the time. So the unique challenges and questions that you face, they're equipped to help you address them, whether it's combining assets and forming a new joint venture, protecting your brand through trademark registration. Amazon FBA products through patent protection or just trying to buy and sell digital assets. Revision Legal has your back because it focuses on online companies just like yours. Their attorneys listen to your goals, your pain points, take the time to understand your business and then create a plan personalized for you. So look, legal questions and dilemmas come in many shapes and sizes. Don't let them keep you up at night. Give the team at Revision Legal a call and get it sorted out before this stuff bites you in the butt. So check out the team over at revisionlegal.com and don't hesitate to drop them a line if you're seeking advice or help. So I think John has raised some interesting ideas here about market fit, like learning the hard way that you know what you want to do isn't always what you need to do in order to make a business thrive. That's a tough one that we all go through all the, I mean, that's the struggle at the core of running a business in some ways. And also the downsides he brings up with having rigid goals and this idea that, you know, everything that has an upside often has a downside. And there's something innately disassociative about putting this goal out. I mean, we've done this this last week. On one hand, you're seeking like a comfort with what you're doing within the business. And on the other hand, like a stretch goal can feel uncomfortable just looking at it. Like that's not who I am right now, that's not who we are right now. That's the point of them, but they have a downside, which is they can feel you know, alienating. And also like achieving them can feel like a hamster wheel. Like, okay, now what's the next goal? So I, I do think it's interesting to question these things that are so often considered at the core of every business, which is goal setting.
1: I don't think it's probably something historically like that business has like focused on necessarily. Meaning like, how can I take over the world? Versus like, how can I just run this convenience store and like make a good living for me and my family and not have to worry too much, right? It's like, this is how I make a living. Everybody's taken care of. Hopefully, like putting a little bit extra away every month. So like if the restaurant gets hit by a hurricane or whatever, like we're able to like sustain through that. But not the idea that like I need to open 250,000 cheesecake factories by 2040.
0: Often like goals are the ways that like observers and tourists take a look at successes and try to figure out ways. Like the reality is, is when you talk to successful people, when you hear success stories in person, they weren't always motivated by goals. In fact, often they didn't have goals. And so then you have an observer come along and say, oh, every business must have goals. And it's like
1: in the age of the Internet, like the the passerby the observer, the critiquer, like they're everywhere on every turn and every corner It's like, am I doing well enough in their eyes? And I just think that that's BS. Like, so if John's happy with where his business is at, and if you're happy with where your business is at, like, you should be just happy with that. But
0: also, it doesn't mean you're necessarily selling yourself short if you don't have goals. For example, like, a lot of success stories come from people who are like really passionate about their market and their market's a powerful one. And so, screw goals, like, keep your ear to the ground and like listen and be involved in like the big things that are happening and be excited about it. And then all of a sudden, you could exceed any goals you would ever set for yourself. So one of the things I'm thinking about is like, you know, your experience and what you uniquely see in your business is so powerful. And a lot of the things that people say are good business hygiene across the board might not be the case for you. These things aren't the case universally.
1: The other thing I'd like to point out is a lot of times... These businesses, uh, they just command so much of our time and attention. And to reach really big goals and to accomplish really big things in the world, like it means that you have to cut off other parts of your life. Like, might mean family, might mean friends, might mean other goals, might mean health. There's a lot of other things that are going to suffer for people to become, quote, really successful. I've said this again in other episodes like, a lot of the really, quote, successful people that I've met are entirely imbalanced.
0: We are going to get into a little, that's a good foreshadowing here because we're going to move on to a little bit more of the controversial element of this show. A few weeks back, we did a show, as you recall, called The Six Figure Slump, where we mused about why so many services businesses specifically seem to get stuck at that level of income. Of course, it's not limited to services business, but you see a lot of that because they're so easy to start. And John recently posted some comments about this episode in our DC Business Forum that I thought would be really interesting to bring to the pod.
2: You said that you'd come to this conclusion after going to DC, Austin, and that you know you're seeing that people are the words you used. I believe were that you saw people struggling. You know, you saw people struggling with trying to get beyond six figures with a marketing services business. And I think some of the things that I'd suggested about it. I said, well, first of all, I think it's more nuanced. Wait a hot minute. Are you suggesting?
0: That something on the Tropical MBA podcast lacks nuance? <laughs> <laughs> and this is exactly why I called you, John, because
2: you're 100% correct. So let's flesh it out a little bit. So you mentioned this, right? And I was like, okay, so that's there's almost definitely something that I'm not getting my head around here. I remember hearing it, hearing you guys talk and thinking, oh, that feels really uncomfortable and awkward. I should lean into that. I should try and figure out a little bit more about this because my initial reaction was like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm in the wrong, you know, going in the wrong direction here. Cause like, what if this, I'm going to cause myself problems because I'm not doing something that's more productized. And then I thought, screw those guys, you know, what do they know? I'll show them. And then I was like, oh no, wait a minute. That's probably not the best way to go. So it's kind of awkward. And uncomfortable, let me ask people about it. So I posted up on the DC and said about it and said, do you agree with Dan? Like, here's my kind of thoughts around this. There's differences that are important with a marketing services business. You know, it's easier to start. You can become successful to a certain point more easily. There definitely are people who do scale it to seven figures. That totally is doable. You can go down the productized route and you see people like Design Pickle, Audience Ops, 10x travel who are doing a really good job with kind of creating something that's more productized and going in that direction so that's one part of it but what i was really interested in is like could you spell out for me what it is that you're seeing like where do you see people struggling i've got my own thoughts on it but i want to kind of hear what have you you know what have you seen in your travels
0: actually let me hear your thoughts on it you know in some ways like i'm this tourist john i don't have skin in the game here I definitely will weigh in some of my thoughts. but
2: Sure. Well, I think that there's three that I see that are a really big deal. One of them is product market fit, right? So you threw away a comment on that podcast about getting the product right. Here's what you said, right? The product you put out into the world is really important. And it's not just about you, how you manage your team or how productive you are. So going back to what I'd said earlier about like the personal development side of things, I think this is like a really big part of it. A lot of people get caught up in how good they are. They get into marketing services because they can do something. They can do something and someone comes to them and says, could you do that for me? And they say yes, and now they're making money. Great, except if you want to run a really successful and a bigger marketing services business, you have to get out of the delivery. And so now you've got to figure out, right, not just... What do people want you to do? But what's the right product market fit? What's the thing that actually people are absolutely after in your market that's going to make it easier for you to deliver that on a regular basis?
0: So the throwaway comment was like this distinction between how much of it's on you personally and how much of it's on the product that you put out into the world. Yeah. So I have a secret conceit and a truly deep frustration I have. And it's simply this, that I think advice givers prey on people in exactly this situation and that people in this situation are susceptible to taking counterproductive advice because they are blaming themselves for not achieving the goals that they've set out to achieve with their business. And I think it's not a coincidence that advice, coaching, like this whole kind of industry of seminar, blah, blah, blah. There's a reason why the wagons are circling at this moment with marketing services and with these sorts of entrepreneurs, rather than, for example, more specific, clearly actionable places where they could have circled their wagons. What I'm trying to say to entrepreneurs is, yeah, like develop yourself. like Yes, be a better entrepreneur, but also listen to the market. It's not all about how good you are as a person. And I think people can, the tactic is is that they come in and they convince people that they're not good enough and that they need to listen to people who know what they're doing in order to be good enough. And that if those people were honest with themselves, they wouldn't be doing that in the first place. They would be doing what they're purporting you should be doing. Okay,
2: marketing gurus as a whole are a very, very, very messed up community. So I happen to have just had the, the chance to get insights into the behind the scenes stuff with a lot of marketing guru types. I'm not going to name any names, I'm not going to tell you how because that would kind of probably put me in an awkward position with the guys who told me, but people have all kinds of like odd hang ups about like maybe they believe the whole world's out to get them, or they've got hang ups about their personal appearance and the way that they look. Or they really, really actually don't know what they're doing. And they just are trying desperately to cover it up. Like there are people out there with big followings, big podcasts, lots of people who listen to them who have not done the thing that they are teaching people how to do. It's not all of them, but it's like, from what I've seen, it's a lot of them.
0: It's so common. Really common. I'll tell you why I'm so mad, John, because I bought it for years and I see other people buying it and I get why they're buying it. And I feel so ripped off like emotionally because I paid good money hook, line and sinker for this speech that turned out to be, that was the speech that they needed to hear. I want to go to entrepreneurs and say, just run more experiments. Ask more questions. Ask more questions, yeah. Ask more questions of the people that are giving the advice. Oh, I meant of the market, but yeah, no fair point about them as well. I mean both, yeah. I totally agree with you. Ask more questions of the market. That's way more interesting than ask more questions of what level of am I as an entrepreneur, you know? Mm. Tell me more about the seedy back room that you found yourself
2: in. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a pool hall. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was at a conference and I, I happened to be talking to some of the guys who actually do the work, who do the really good work. In, and I, I know the results that they're getting and I can see what they're achieving. And I know that they know their shit. And they're telling me about how, you know, some of the people who are in these, run these kinds of advice giving organization, you know, or, or coaching stuff, don't do the thing or don't know shit. As entrepreneurs, we often feel vulnerable,
0: and what we're doing is, you know, taking a lot of responsibility for paying the mortgage, paying the payroll, and at the end of the day, you can feel alone. You can, and you look around for people to lead
2: you. You know. Well, one of the things I hate the most is that a lot of these guys who are the, the marketing guru types they've got a model right they've got one model that they're going to teach you and they're going to tell you that this model is the model and this is the one you need to follow and people will come up and they'll say you need to do things this way and if you do it this way then it's going to succeed and maybe it succeeded for them and they did actually know what they were doing and it worked for them And that was three years ago and it doesn't work anymore, but they're still selling the same model. Or maybe it did work for them and it still works now, but it's not going to work for you because you're a bit different and you're trying to do something slightly different. But they're like, no, this is the way that you do it. I've had people come up and try and convince me that they're like, even if their way would work for me and I would make money and be successful doing it from the typical ways of looking at things, I might look at it and go, oh, yeah, but this is disgusting and gross and I hate it and it doesn't help me to achieve what I'm really trying to achieve. I've developed over the years an extreme distrust of anyone who is too confident in what they're saying. I've seen it with salespeople because I used to work in sales and I used to know a lot of people who are extremely confident and they really just, their confidence was what sold and they just couldn't back it up. Confidence does not equal them actually knowing what they're talking about. It's like tricky because then you still got people, you still want to learn how to do something. You know, you still, let's say you've got some skill that you want to get better at, where you don't want to just go out and experiment and test and try stuff yourself. You're going to want to go and learn from somebody. I mean, obviously, one of the ways we do it is we go and ask other DCers. And we're like, right, what are you doing? How are you doing it? You get the behind the scenes look into things, right? What did you make
0: of fellow DCers' responses to your query in
2: the forum? Generally, I think people gave some really good nuance about it. You know, some really good kind of their own, Point of view and why they like agreed or disagreed with certain parts of it. It was just enough that it made me think, huh, maybe I'm not crazy here. Maybe there's something here that's like, okay, there is more detail to this. It is worth kind of thinking through more. I really liked your point in there because you'd said something like, okay, I totally agree with you on all of those points you made. I'm like, okay. It's funny. <laughs> Speaking of
0: nuance, it's true. I, I'm reading them right now and I totally agree with everything you said. Which is uh, fascinating, I suppose. I think where maybe one part of departure would be, you know, a lot of people say, like, if you want to get a marketing services business from six to seven figures, there's a roadmap to doing that. And certainly people have done it. You know, you get more clients or you get higher dollar clients. And there's two things that I think about that. Number one, I think those paths become increasingly difficult. Managing a lot of clients and higher dollar clients. I mean, a lot of people go out and sell like this idea that you're going to go out and get big clients and that's going to be great for you. I don't necessarily agree with that at all. And the second thing is when I meet people that do run these sorts of businesses, almost without exception, they don't particularly want to be running them. The point that I really latch on to in your bullet's, You say you can make profit from marketing services business and reinvest them in something else. This is an advice. This is how I personally feel. I think marketing services businesses are incredibly powerful tuning forks. They are thermometers into the market. You get to see how people are profiting. You get to help people profit. You get to get a sense of the community of what's going on. And for me, and this is what I was trying to express is the end game is to find something worth reinvesting in that's tangential, that ultimately provides the entrepreneur with a little bit more stability and a lesser workload per profit. I don't think people need to take that path at all. It's just the path that I took because I found running a, a services business to be a grind at the end of the day. Interesting. Interesting we were so aggressive about our services business that we were like trying to acquire other services businesses. And so I have this film in my head of like these entrepreneurs, like walking into the conference room and having them describe the endless steak dinners and the endless client phone calls and the endless churn. And just thinking like, what are we all doing here? You know, like this is when Ian got in my ear and he said, we need to do this for ourselves. Like, if what we're doing for our clients is truly valuable, then we need to do it for ourselves. And the profound impact that that simplicity made on me, the sentence he said to me was, if we want to get rich, we're going to have to have our own product. That's not true. But it was a statement that resonated with me. Like you said, like you have these useful mirages in your head and that was the one i walked out of that conference room with was like i don't want to be that guy that like 10 years from now like walks into a conference room and is like begging somebody to buy him out of his business for two times ebitda
2: it's part of what i took from what you were saying is that kind of emotion about it of the is this the best and the right route for me longer term it's like great cool i can do this i can run a marketing services business i know how to do it i can help people I'm really good at fixing and optimizing these funnels and helping people to make more money. But I've had a lot of thoughts around like, okay, what's for me, what's going to allow me to get to the next level? Is it keep scaling this? At the moment that's the goal. But then later on, is it start something myself, whether it's an info product or a, some kind of a regular product or what have you? Is it buy an existing business that has really good traffic? but a bad funnel that i know i can make a huge difference on is it partner with other people on like a, a revenue share basis this is some of the kind of stuff where i'm like okay maybe that's what would be the right direction longer term and that's i think where some of the the doubt crept in from my initial hearing from what you'd said which like cuz i'm i'm not sure right i don't know i don't have the right answer is that the right direction i should be going in it's not right now but in like 6 months a year's time it might be And that's part of the journey for me is figuring some of that stuff out. But there is huge benefits with marketing services at getting started. So that's definitely a benefit for it.
0: John, now I'm going to ask you to commit a capital crime. Uh Uh-oh. Which is to give some advice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this that would love to be visiting Lithuania for family reasons, uh, living in London, traveling around, meeting other entrepreneurs. What sort of advice do you have for people that are struggling to get started running a business?
2: I think there's a couple of ways. One of them is find an existing model that works really well and copy it. And another one is solve people's problems. I'm kind of somewhere in between, but like what I'm really good at is solving people's problems is finding people who've got an issue and figuring out how to fix it. Like no two funnels that we work on are the same and the way we do it is we ask lots of questions, we learn lots of things, we figure out what to do and then we go and fix it. Solving other people's problems is something that I feel pays pretty well. People want their problems solved. So my advice, like my system that I use for it, which might not work for everybody, Is go out in the right circles, find those people who have money, have businesses that have problems that they're willing to pay to solve. You know, it's like no one who's making from their own business, you know, like three thousand dollars a month is going to pay you all that much money to solve their problems. But if they're currently making a hundred thousand a year, three hundred thousand dollars a year, something like that from their business, they no longer have the time to solve all their own problems. They're willing to pay somebody else to solve them. If you go and you talk to them and you ask them questions and you ask them about what problems they've got that need solving and you find some that you can solve hey you've got yourself a client you've got someone who you can make you know who's going to pay you some money to make that problem go away that's my approach and it's like i don't ever pitch i don't ever tell people you know you should be hiring me i don't say to them this is you know i don't very often even go out and say this is what i do you can talk to me about it i just go and i help solve people's problems and then a lot of those people then say to me great you were really helpful with that could you help solve that some more? What would be a typical engagement? In terms of how I'm actually getting clients, it's like a lot of my clients are from the DC. So there's lots of people where like I will I'll go on, I'll see somebody on the DC's got an issue because they've posted about it in a thread. And I will write as much detail as I possibly can to say how I think they should solve that. I'll ask them more questions. I'll record them a Loom video, giving them detail about what I would do, give examples of what they could do in order to solve it and then some of those people say to me great could you help me with that
0: and then you send them a proposal
2: no actually the next step for me is i then do an audit where i'm going to ask them more questions so i charge 500 bucks for an audit and that is basically we're going to go and do a really detailed in-depth look at your business and the funnel and what you've got in place we're going to go through a few things we're going to map out what's your current funnel what was your ideal funnel going to look like how much money are you going to make likely from us putting this into place that's going to be based on like industry benchmarks, that kind of thing. So it's like, if you were able to increase this to this percentage, this to this percentage, and this to this percentage, it would make you, based on your traffic, this much extra money. And therefore, it's probably worth you hiring us, or it's probably not worth you hiring us. You should go and do this yourself.
0: How do you decide how much to charge?
2: At the moment, we charge $3,500 a month. We figure out how much we could do in a month on that. Like, most of the thing that's holding us back is getting stuff back from clients that's mostly what slows us down on actually delivering like even just access to their accounts and all that bullshit right
0: that takes time
2: we try and get all of those things up front during the audit but then getting sign off from clients is a people have got stuff going on in their business besides what we're doing right they've got things going on yeah yeah you basically say
0: like here's like the funnel of your dreams based on the audit we're going to like build it month by month. Mm -hmm. You kind of like dictate your own pace based on the sort of profitability you're seeking.
2: Yeah, well, we lay out like, here's the plan. Like if you want to hire us to do it, this is what we'll do in month one. This is what we'll do in month two. This is what we'll do in month three. We don't go past that because things would have changed by then. I see. But then say, and this is how much we charge a month for doing it. I used to do it on a project basis. And what I found is sometimes we would get stuff that would just drag out for a long time because people weren't getting back to us. And then I was like, okay, this is kind of frustrating. Let's try doing it on a monthly basis. And we'll see. I don't know if that's what the market wants in this or if they would prefer it to be on a project basis. So I'm trying that out. And so far, people seem to be happy to sign up for that. So that's what I'm sticking with for now. I want to underline
0: this because I think this metaphor or this process that you're laying out is extremely powerful. And the metaphor that popped into my mind when you described the way you do business is of a turbocharger. So a turbocharger is a device that you put on top of an engine, it sucks in some of the exhaust, and it basically just blows more air into the engine so that the engine can run faster. And one of the biggest mistakes people make with services is that they focus on companies that don't have the engine yet. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to people that have an engine, and you say to them, hey, we blow air into that thing. (laughs)
2: those are my exact words it's funny you say that yeah
0: (laughs) and it's just so utterly powerful i don't think people realize how much of an eternal deep need there is everywhere for this i mean if you want to start a business it's right there you just got to understand the engine and offer the turbocharger it's so easy to go to the person that has this horrible, undeveloped business with all the potential in the world. And you say to them, you're not realizing what you have here. Let's build something. Well, you go to the people that have already built it. And they're just struggling to keep their desk clean. Those are the people that are willing to buy services like this. Because even though in theory, they could go build a webinar funnel, they've already got a job. And so they'd rather just hire somebody to do it.
2: Yeah, they've got a different problem, right? The guys who are getting started, their problem is they don't know how to... They're struggling to get it all to work. The guys who've got something that's working pretty well, their problem is they don't have enough time. They've got some money. They've got money coming in, but they don't have enough time to to make it work better. And it's like if you can go to them and go, right, I can help make that work better for you, and it's going to be really easy for you, and you can totally trust me because, look, we've just done this... Like in my case, like we've just done this cheap audit together... And now you can see that we know exactly what we're talking about. And we've got a detailed plan. You know it's going to work for you. You can see that.
0: And it's like, okay, cool. John, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us here at the pod. I appreciate you spending your time to share your story.
2: Oh, thanks, man. It's been a pleasure being on here.
0: Big ups to John for coming on the show, sharing so openly. And you know I'd never spoken with John on the phone before. I thought he was an insightful, generous guy. I can't wait to talk to him again in the future. If you guys want to check out the links and show notes everything mentioned on today's show, check out our wonderful website, tropicalmba.com slash John Ainsworth. And of course, as the CEO of Data-Driven Marketing, John knows a lot about funnels and he's actually passionate about funnels, which is really cool. Me too. And I'm interested in them. And so there was a lot of this interview that's extended that didn't make it into the main episode. So if you're curious about sales funnels and how they work for you, just stick around. So after the music and we'll play that part of the interview for you. So thanks again to John. Ian, we're back to share some closing thoughts here. You know, I sort of copped this idea of being emotional about advice on the web my perspective isn't that people that are giving advice don't have a ton to offer your business. My emotions come from seeing in my inbox on an almost weekly basis, people that have just been really misguided and they feel taken advantage of. They feel taken advantage of. And I know, you know, as an entrepreneur, like advice when you're in a tough spot can feel like a breath of fresh air, you know, people coming through with like an enormous amount of confidence. Like I know what I would do in your situation because like I'm really good at your situation. And okay, that might be true. But I would just like to say that very often it's not at all, right? And the bottom line is that advice doesn't get you there. You know, like at some point you have to do things and the person giving you the advice can't do them for you. And they often can't see a lot of the mechanisms that are required to do things in your particular situation.
1: Dan, the other day, I was against my will. I was watching uh, NBA finals with you, <laughs> Golden State Warriors, and who is it? The Toronto Raptors. It
0: was great to have you there. Yeah, you were um, very enthusiastic.
1: When we started to have this conversation about like what a coach does in basketball, I started to realize like they are an elemental part of the team. Like you need a coach to operate. And no one questions whether or not the Golden State Warriors like need a coach. Like that's just part of the formula. And so I started to think about like the part of the formula that a coach plays in a business, right? What role and at what scale is like a coach actually essential in a business? Is it in the beginning stages? Is it essential at all? Is it in like the senior stages of a business? Is it like past $200 million? I don't think a lot of these things have been defined, but in basketball in professional sports, like it's just part of the formula.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. The bottom line is that advice is non-falsifiable. You know, I've paid for advice from coaches that turned out to be bad advice. And I know that because they implemented it in their business and it didn't work out over time. But at the time I was given the advice, I didn't know whether it was good or bad advice. I just knew that I had paid for it. Right. I'm not close minded about this stuff. I do think that mentors, advice givers. All these people play a really important role. But I just flag it up because like, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to sort through this stuff. That's the bottom line. You and your team and your family, like, you got to get it done. And paying people doesn't absolve you of that. Certainly, it does the opposite. It gives you a little bit more responsibility because now you've got a, a bigger burn and you also got to be responsible for the strategies that could be very expensive that these new people bring into your business. And so oftentimes, those strategies are not informed by an understanding of your particular market or your particular business or situation, even if that person says it's a repeatable model, it's a system, it is proven, it is all these sorts of things that people say, well, I'm sorry, raise your hand if you've done a best practice in your business and it didn't do shit, okay? Okay. The other thing I found interesting about this basketball metaphor, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is now, the hierarchy. Look how excited right? you are.
1: This is the hierarchy, okay? Team owner at the top, underneath them, general manager, underneath them, coach, and then underneath them, players. But Unless sometimes, it depends what players are on your team. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> but sometimes players like overrule the coach, right? All like, the time. Okay. So even in this hierarchy model that we're talking about, like if we're thinking about this as like business owners, we're at the top. And coach is like two or three rungs down, right? And like their performance can sometimes get overrun by the players depending on what the systems and processes and customers in your business, I'm gonna say the NBA players or maybe your customers are doing. So okay to have a coach, I think just understand where they sit in the hierarchy of your company. And By the
0: way, coach is just a a step in for all these other things that exist that are similar, like a service provider, a consulting firm that's focused on a particular part of your business. I mean- if you don't keep an eye on this stuff, it'll hose you. That's the bottom line. That's the end of this episode. Thank you for joining me, boss man. We will be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning,
2: 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: What are they? What are automated uh, sales funnels?
2: Yeah, so basically, a funnel is anything on. Your website and by email, that's going to convert people from visitors into happy customers or repeat customers, that kind of thing. So it's like, okay, so on your website, it's the lead magnets, it's the confirmation page after that, it's a tripwire, something cheap for people to buy. It's what's your main offer? Do you have any upsells? What's your email follow up? Do you have any webinars in place? All of that stuff. So I focus on everything that's like automated about that. So not like email newsletters, but automated email sequences. Getting the trip right, getting the upsells right, all that kind of thing. Why do you think this term funnel? It didn't really
0: exist ten years ago, or I wasn't so aware of it. And now I feel like I can't shake a stick without hitting a funnel.
2: Yeah, you got to blame Russell Brunson for that. And he wrote that book. What was it called? Who is Russell Brunson? Expert Secrets. He's a he's like one of these marketing guru types. So he runs a business called ClickFunnels. But before that, he was like really into the whole all kinds of things marketing. So like building and selling info products and talking at seminars and all this kind of stuff. And he is kind of well regarded in the webinar space, but he so like he's got this system called the Perfect Webinar. And it's really good. Loads of DCers rave about it. I I love it. It's really good uh, really good system. And it helps you to put together the perfect like the ideal webinar presentation. But he's done loads of other stuff around this as well. And he released a book called .com secrets. That was it quite a while back. And it explains in that all the types of funnels that there are, like quiz funnels, tripwire funnels, webinar funnels, email marketing funnels, all this kind of stuff. So it's all basically different ways of getting people from being visited to your website or signing up for an email list into being a happy customer. That kind of seemed to be the, the point when it went from, right, no one's really talked about funnels all that much to this is the term that everyone uses. And it was around before then. He didn't coin it. But he did popularize that. That seems, to be, that seems to be the turning point when it started to be the, the word everyone was using.
0: So you were reading this information from Russell. When you started applying it in your own business and for your clients, what surprised you about the implementation of funnels? Is there anything that was sort of uniquely effective that you didn't expect?
2: I started learning this a long time before I'd ever heard of Russell Brunson. But I started probably, oh God, I don't know like 15 years ago, something like that. And there's so much about the whole process that's surprising. There's so much that's slightly weird and unexpected. Like, okay, so one of the biggest things that's really important with it is the kind of the psychology behind funnels. So the psychology behind the buying process. For example, like one of the most powerful things that nearly nobody does, but almost always works is if you've got lead magnets on your website. So what's a lead magnet?
0: you got to remember john you are deep into the
2: funnel all right if you've got some freebie some free thing on your website that's going to get someone to sign up for your email list that's a lead magnet if you got something on your website for free it could be a video course or a cheat sheet or an ebook what have you and someone signs up for it and they get onto your email list and lots of people have got that lots of people have these on their website and it works really well they build up their email list then there's this magical point, like immediately after somebody's just signed up for that, and most people waste it completely. So you'll have this point where someone's gone onto Google, they've been interested in a topic, they've got this problem clear enough in their head that they've searched for something. They've searched for something and they've seen your website come up in the the search listings. They've clicked on your website and they haven't left immediately. They've liked the look of it. They've read through a little bit. They've seen you've got something else to offer. They've looked at it. They've put their email address in. Now they're at this point where they've got this problem so clear in their head and about like somewhere between 10, and 40% of those people are now wanting to buy something good that's going to solve that problem more than your lead magnet did, more than that cheat sheet did. And most people at that stage say, thank you very much for signing up. We're going to email that to you now. And that's it. And they're lost and they're just gone forever. And that's it. And they might never even bother to read your emails because they've got so many emails coming through. And so the psychology there is, okay, that's a magical moment. You can take that moment and you can say to them, cool, we're going to email that to you. In the meantime, if you're interested, here's something that solves that problem more thoroughly. And you can get that right now at this special price because you've got their attention. You've got them in that perfect mindset. So this is like a lot of what marketing funnels and just marketing in general is about. is like trying to understand the psychology of where are people at, who is your audience, what are they currently thinking? And it's constantly surprising because as soon as you go into a new, a new audience, a new market for a new product, you've got to go and relearn for that audience. How are they thinking about this thing? And it's always slightly different. You know, I'm always working on like trying to understand the audience a bit better for whatever it is we're building the funnel for.
0: What's the role of, of webinars and funnels for you? Oh my God, I love webinars. So
2: they're <laughs> serious. They're so good. Okay, so...
0: Like this is becoming delightfully nerdy, very early <laughs> on, like expressing true earnest love for webinars.
2: <laughs> so good. People don't understand. People get really like anxious or unsure about them because they're nervous about public speaking and so on.
0: I'm willing to guess that 95% of entrepreneurs have never hosted a webinar.
2: That sounds likely. Yeah.
0: Let's start from that moment. Like, how do you think about how to execute a webinar and what it, what kind of impact it could have
2: okay so the thing to remember with a webinar right is that you've got the, an hour if you get someone to sign up for a webinar you've got about an hour of their time to build up trust with them to get them to know like and trust you when do you ever have that opportunity in anything else you're ever doing right maybe maybe public speaking but often you've got like what half an hour then or something like that on stage so you've got like if you had a sales page if you've got people reading your blog, you just don't have that much of their time to get that point across, possibly in a podcast, right? Podcasting is one of the other times where you could build up this long-term kind of trust with people. So with a webinar, what you've got is this chance to get across your point about why they should be interested in buying whatever it is you've got to offer. But you can't start with that because who on earth is going to come onto a webinar that's just about your product? So what you've got to do is you've got to work backwards from that. You go, right, here's the thing that I have on offer that I think these guys are going to be interested in. What do I need to teach them in order to get them to the point where they would think, oh, cool, in that case, I'll buy what you've got? It has to flow beautifully. What most people do, and the reason why most people get so nervous about webinars, is they'll teach and they'll give loads of value for like 45 minutes. And then they go, ha, ha, huh? and they'll start pitching to them. And they hate it and everybody hates it. It's awkward and it's uncomfortable. And it's totally the wrong way of doing it. And this is something that I did learn from Russell Brunson. Where what you do instead is you figure out what is the one big thing that you could teach. And different people call this a different thing. Lead domino, one big idea. And it's basically about what's the one thing you could teach that if they believed it, their next step for them would have to be getting what it is you've got on offer. Would have to be, right, that's it. I've got to go and get this now. It's just like, because it's the obvious next step. So for him with Russell Brunson, right, he sells ClickFunnels. And ClickFunnels is software that allows you to build funnels easily. It's just website building software. It's just a content management system. You could do everything from ClickFunnels in WordPress. But... He's basically saying to people in his whole presentation, the way that he sells it through webinars, is he's saying, websites aren't that great. What you need is a funnel. And he's convincing people of that. And in a lot of ways, it's absolutely true. He's not making it up. He's making some very good points. He's telling great stories to get that across. By the end of the presentation, you go, you know what, Russell, I think you're right. This useful information you've given me that's that's helped me to understand the world a bit better has now shown me that I really should have a funnel, not just a website. And then he says, the easiest way to build it is using ClickFunnels. And you go, oh, well, that's convenient, isn't it? And then you listen to his pitch about ClickFunnels, right? So it's the same thing in whatever it is you're trying to get across. You have to figure out what's that one key thing. And that's the place where nearly everybody goes wrong because they just go, right, I'll teach something useful and then I'll make a pitch.